Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. I want to look at verses 8 through 20 of Luke chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you've left a record of your past dealings with man so that we can know your ways and how you will deal with us. Lord, we thank you that these are more than stories. These are roadmaps, blueprints, templates of the kingdom that you drop over our life. And Lord, we join our voice with King David and Moses of old, and we cry out, show us your ways, O Lord. Father, we want to understand how you operate so that we can cooperate. We want to work with you. We want you to work through us. We want you to use us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. We're going to look at this angelic visitation and then we want to look at the response. What I want to look at this morning is our response to encounters. How do you steward an encounter from the Lord? There are principles of stewardship that if you steward it properly, you can leverage that and you can get a lot of mileage out of an encounter or you can reduce it to an event. A story in your past that you can tell others but really didn't change your life. Encounters were never meant to be momentary events. They were meant to be permanent fixtures that transform our life, that we come out of that and we are different from there on. So let's look at verse 8. And in the same region, now just as a little background, the previous verses in chapter 2, chapter 2 begins with Jesus' birth and how Mary gave birth to Jesus and they were in the inn and she lies him in a manger and these wraps him in clothes and... and uh, And then it picks up in verse 8, and in the same region. So meanwhile, in another place, if it's a movie, there's a transition on the screen, and we zero in on this field outside of town with these shepherds. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were filled with great fear. I love how the King James, James Version says it, and they were sore afraid. It scared the spit out of them. It was almost painful. They were so afraid. They were shaking. The danger of us reading these stories is we're so familiar with them from everyone from Linus to Sunday school uh, that we just read quickly over this and we miss what's really going on here. There's a group of shepherds that are minding their own business, literally. They're just doing their jobs. It's late at night. The sheep are snoring. I don't know what a sheep snores on. They're, they're just out in the darkness. They're probably sitting around the fire discussing things. They're on watch that night. And all of a sudden, in a moment, unexpectedly, they did not know that they were positioned to encounter a heavenly angel and a heavenly choir. And all of a sudden, everything lights up around them. An angel standing there, and that's why King James Version says they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not. <laughs> like, he had to say that. They were fearful. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. 
For unto you, they're thinking, I didn't even know we were pregnant. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, we're not going to get into this this morning, but I want to encourage you to revisit this passage, revisit the angelic message, and read it from this perspective, because this is the perspective in which things are really being spoken. It's from a heavenly perspective, these angels who have been a part of the heavenly activity for eons and are now, now the thing they've been longing to see, all this busyness in heaven, all these prophecies from hundreds of years ago that scripture says they longed to look in and understand and they didn't know what was going on. And now in a moment, Jesus, the glory of heaven, has been born as a human being, and it's like the angels can't handle it. They've just got to tell someone, so they pick some angels in a field, and they encounter them, and he speaks to them. And if you read this passage from that perspective, you'll realize literally it is from an angelic perspective speaking to humanoids on planet Earth, telling them this is what's going on. And it's interesting to me, they call it the city of David. We usually think of the city of David as Jerusalem, but angels look at cities from the perspective of the great men and women of God who were born there. And so the angel said, in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And then he went on, he said, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. He's saying, in our realm and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And in your realm, peace to men. And then we pick up the story. All of a sudden, boom, it's gone. The lights are off. They're sitting around their fire and they are freaking out. Because as quickly as the angel appeared, he's now gone. And they're all thinking, did I just imagine this? And they look in each other's eyes, and they're all looking the same way. They experienced this together. And when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They found the sign. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. They brought the message they heard from the angel to the parents of this baby. And all who heard it wondered at what the angels or the shepherds told them. They were all in awe. They were amazed, one translation says. They were, they were bewildered. They were in awe of this thing. That these shepherds, not just one, and they were believable. They were shaken. They were, they were all talking over one another. They're freaking out, and they're saying, oh, my goodness, this is a significant night. They were all, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary, the word but there juxtaposes her response over against the others. Mary had a different response than the others. She's, it says, but Mary treasured up these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen and it had been, as it had been told to them. And so in this short little passage, verse 15 through 20, we see this, the aftermath of an encounter. We have those who were the direct recipients of the encounter. And then we have the audience they were going to deliver the message of the encounter to. So we ha- they have the people who received the encounter. But here's the catch. The encounter was not for them. And then they had the true audience of the encounter. The people the message was for. 
And we see this little, these little few verses and they give us a blueprint on, number one, how we're to handle our encounters, and number two, how we're to receive the word of the Lord when, when someone brings an encounter to us. And both of these are very, very important because the fact is, encounters with the Lord are not meant to be mere events. See, when I was a little kid, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. It was a very good Pentecostal church. It was a Latter Rain church. Those of you who are familiar with the Latter Rain movement, it was a church, our pastor, this is back in the 60s and the 70s. I was raised in the 70s. I was born in 65, so I was raised in the 70s. I don't want to make myself too old. But I mean, way back in the 60s, he was, he was teaching on prophecy. He would, he would do clinics, then he'd tell, okay, turn on, turn, pray over each other, give a word to each other. He'd give correction to that and give He'd shaped that. He was, he was an apostolic uh, trainer even back then before that was uh, very familiar with, with what was going on in, the, in, in Christianity at the time. Uh, so I was, I was raised around the prophetic, but the problem was as a child, the way it was taught to us as children, I viewed prophecy as a goosebump moment in a service. Some of you remember the old days, and prophecy was always, I don't know why, given in King James. God spoke in Elizabethan English, because that's what we were familiar with from the word. And it just, it, you know, so what that tells you is that prophecy is from the Lord, but it's siphoned through your personality and your perspective, and there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, it's good to understand the prophet speaking to you so that you can discern what's going on here. But I remember we'd be in worship and, and all of a sudden it, there'd come a lull. And it, when I got saved and filled with the Spirit, all of a sudden I could tell, oh, there's going to be a word. And all of a sudden it'd start to land. How many of you sense that? That's your spirit functioning in a room. It's like your spirit is... You, you dial in and you can tell God's about to do something. And all of a sudden, thing, everybody together just kind of, there's a lull. And all of a sudden, someone comes up, my children, my, the saith, you know, I shouldn't say it that way. I'm, uh, but it's, it's the, that Elizabethan English because that's the way I was raised. But here's the problem. There was nothing wrong with it being King James or then, then later on, I started hanging around vineyard people in the 80s. And they were like, dude, I'm feeling a wave, you know, because there are surfers from California. Like, there's a really gnarly thing the Lord's going to do, you know. And uh, it was their personality, but th nonetheless, you need, you need to, what is the Lord saying here, you know? The problem was not with the language that was being used. The problem was my response to it. I thought it was a goosebump moment. Whoa, God speaking. And then we move on and we forget about what he said. And that is not the purpose of the prophetic. The prophetic is to inform us and shape us and give us impetus into the future. And so we need to learn to steward it right. So we have these shepherds who are out in the field and they're encountered by the Lord. Now it does beg the question, why did God choose them? What was it about these shepherds just hanging out doing their job that God chose them to encounter? Wasn't like they were expecting this. They were just doing their job, which, by the way, tells you that God will show up when you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And if you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, if they'd have skipped work and they were doing some night fishing on the Sea of Galilee, they'd have missed the visitation. 
But they were doing their job. They were doing what they're supposed to be doing, and the angels showed up. But why the angels? Why? Why? I mean, why the shepherds? Why did he show up? And then it, it, it also begs the question, and this is something you and I need to answer as Pentecostals. We're a Pentecostal church. We are not a cessationist church. Cessationism says that the miraculous work of God stopped outside of salvation, stopped with the death of the last apostle, the original 12. We are not cessationists. We are what we call continuists. We believe in continuism. We believe that the supernatural power of God continues to operate through the gifts of the Spirit, through the offices of the Son, that Jesus gave to his church. We believe they are supernatural, and that activity is still for today. Yeah. And we, we don't even have to argue about that. We, are, we already settled that as a church. Now, you may struggle with that as an individual. Make an appointment. I'd love to sit down and talk to you. But... We've already settled that, but there is a question you and I need to answer because even among continuous Pentecostal charismatic churches, there are two points of view, and there's really a, a pendulum on this, and that is this. Is the supernatural normative, or is it what they would call anomalous? Is it an anomaly, or is it normal? Is it rare, or is it supposed to be part of our life as the norm? And there are, there are a lot of Pentecostal charismatic Christians who say, yes, it, the supernatural is for today, but it's the exception, not the rule. It's anomalous. Is all, you know, it's an anomaly. It's, it's, it's not something that always happens. It's, it's, we live in this material world. We're living them down here. And every now and then, the supernatural power of God invades and breaks in. And then God retreats. And we're supposed to live by the book from then on, and in between these rare occasions. Now, a lot of times people don't really question their theology. They're so busy looking through their lenses, they never look at them. But we really do need to look at this. What do you really believe? Because your belief will produce an expectation which will create a reality. It will either attract or it will repel that activity. In churches that create an expectation, there tends to be more activity of heaven. And so let me just tell you, I, I, I do have a, I have a pet peeve where people come and say, Pastor, what do we believe? And, and if you have to ask me what you believe, you don't really believe it. So there's no we here. There's, you know, what I believe and let's, we could discuss it and then we come to a conclusion together, then we believe it. Or we can say, you can tell me what you believe and I can say what I believe. And if we believe the same thing, we can say we believe. But we all have to wrestle through our own theology and it's dangerous if we just accept what someone else says. Now the fact is, we all give weight to certain people's beliefs and rightly so. There are people that I know that I've gotten to know them. I know they, they know the word. I've watched their life. I, I watched their walk with the Lord. And if they say something's true that's contrary to what I believe, then I go back to the book and I start studying this thing out because I give credibility to them. And there's, that's, that's a good thing, but let God be true and every man a liar. Let's be noble Bereans and go back to the word and ask, let's, let's look at this thing. And my personal theology is that the supernatural is normative. It is the norm for the believer. We don't live in a natural world that God occasionally breaks in. God wants to continually be breaking in. God doesn't have dispensational laryngitis. He didn't lose his voice because there was a previous dispensation in which he used it. And now he wrote a book and he lost his voice or he doesn't exercise his voice. And God is not 
a quiet soul. God is very talkative. But we've got to posture our heart to engage him. And so what happened to these shepherds is not to be this rare thing in human history where they encountered the activity of heaven and then it was never to be again. If you look in the New Testament church, there was a lot of activity of heaven. So much so that when Peter was in prison and they were praying for him and Peter knocks on the door and they're praying for him, when the answer to their prayer knocked on the door, they didn't think it was the answer. They thought it was his angel. What would make them think it's an angel at the door? There must have been a lot of angelic activity. And the fact is that when we are living in the move of the Spirit, there's a lot of activity. And what we do is we, the ebbs and flow of the life in the church, and when the church is in a backslidden state, what we do is we take our, our cues from that and say, well, this is the norm. I'm reminded of, of something Watchman Nee wrote in one of his books. He said, he said, the normal Christian life is so rare that when most believers look at someone that's on fire, they think he has a fever and he's sick when he's just the norm. Something to that effect. That the, the norm is the New Testament, not our present experience. And so we've got to, we don't read the word through our experience. We need to read our experience through the word. The word is the standard. And so we need to expect God to break into the natural. You need to expect God to speak to you. You need to expect visitation and visions and, and healings and words of knowledge and words of wisdom and all that stuff. That is the norm. And if you're not experiencing that, that's not a condemnation, but it should provoke you to hunger and say, why am I not expecting, why am I experiencing this? And what I'm going to tell you this morning is some of the reasons some of us don't experience more in God is because we're approaching God out of one role and we're ignoring some of our other roles. When I was standing there in worship this morning, I felt like the Lord told me, there are things you can access as a priest you can never access as one of my children. There are things, I, I'm a child of God, I, I worship God, I, he's my father and I have a relationship with him, but there's other hats that I wear. And one of the hats that I wear is that I'm a priest of the Most High God, and so are you. If you are born again, you are a, you are a king priest. I'm also, I also wear a hat as a pastor of a local church. And you know what? I understand that some of the encounters that I enjoy are simply because I'm the pastor of this church. That's why I love pastor. I'm serious. Because it positions me to hear from him for you. Because just like the shepherds, their encounter was not for them. They got some in the process, but God was getting it through them to Mary, and they got some in the process. It's like Peter. Remember Peter? He's out there fishing, and all of a sudden he sees Jesus preaching, and Jesus says, they're crushing in on him, and he's on the shoreline, and he says, hey, Peter, can I use your boat? Uh, yeah, sure. Gets out in the boat. They sail out so the people can't break in upon him. He's standing on the, he's in the boat on the waters, and the people are all on the shore, and he's preaching. And then when he's done, he said, okay, Peter, now go out into the deep and throw your net over the side. And he'd, he'd already tried it all day, but it didn't work. And so he throws his net over, and the load was so great, they began to sink. Here's the principle. When you let him use your boat, you get a boatload in the process. 
If you will let God use you to minister to others while it's coming through you, you get to enjoy it too. There are things that you will access in ministry that you won't access anywhere else. I would propose to you that God chose to speak through shepherds for a very specific reason. Because the principle is this. Those who look over the flock will have encounters. You say, well, pastor, I think you're stretching the text. I know. But I can back it up from other passages. This is precisely why God told the Levitical priesthood, he said, all the other tribes, they get land. I'm going to give them an inheritance of land. But the Levites, you know what he said? He said, I'm your inheritance. What an amazing thing. I am your inheritance. Why? Because they were the priests. And as priests, their inheritance was him. See, we need to understand what a priest is because we're all priests. A priest is a go-between. He is an intercessor. He lives between heaven and earth. He lives between God and man. That is the role of a priest. Literally, in a very real sense, as priests, we live suspended between heaven and earth, connected to both. And before earth, we represent heaven. We represent man. We bring the word of the Lord. But before God, we represent man. We represent earth. And we bring the intercessory burden. And so there's this dual role that we occupy as priests. And if we don't understand that, we will inadvertently think that every encounter we receive is just for us as a child of God. And if you always approach God from that perspective, it will limit what you will receive. Because if God knows he can't get it through you, he won't get it to you. If all you're doing is consuming as a child, and and let me pause here, it's important that we approach him from that perspective. That is one of our roles. I am a child of God. And I approach him as father. He is my, he's my Abba father, my daddy God. And we have that relationship. But there are some things in God I can't access through that avenue. I've got to access through this priestly role. Because there's some things that God wants to use me. It's not over here I'm a consumer. I'm a recipient. Over here I am a vehicle of his ministry. I am a participant. It really is, and we don't have time to get into this, and I've talked about this before. It's the difference between the ministry of Jesus, where I'm the recipient of his work, and the ministry of the Spirit. I am the vehicle, I am the agent of his work. Over here, I simply receive what he did, the finished work of Christ. Over here, I'm a participant of his work. And if I don't understand that, I limit the activity of the Spirit in my life. If I'm only looking to the Spirit to receive then I'm still living from an immature perspective where I am simply a consumer. But God wants to grow us up because he wants to use you. He called you. Yes, he called you to himself so you can enjoy a relationship with him, but he wants to use you. And what he wants to do is awaken within you a burden for other people. And if you will begin to carry a burden for others, you will find that God begins to speak to you much more than he used to. Because all of a sudden, I'm telling you, I I love this. Philemon verse 6, it says, I would that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you may know what you have in Christ. I didn't misquote that. I want you to share what you have so that you'll know what you have. Because it's in the sharing that you learn. 
And ministry, there are, there are many times where I'm sitting with someone that they're asking me, you know, pastor, what do I do? And they'll ask me a question. And the answer I give them, I thought, I need to take notes on that. Man, I never thought of that before. That's really, and there's, there's times people leave all right things down. Then you'll hear it from here. And the person I said it to, I'm like, oh, he told me that Thursday. But it's because I'm learning as I'm ministering. It's one of the, that's one of the inheritances of ministry. That while God is using us, while he's getting it through us, he gets it to us. And if you're wise, you'll grab some for yourself. You'll have a boatload in the process. And it will force you to grow up. There are things in God that you will learn about him through your ministry to others. There's sometimes I get wrecked, overwhelmed. What, I, I, when I was in Columbia, not the last time, but the time before, earlier this year, the, uh, I don't remember what month it was, but we were in this church in, in Tuluwa. There was this pastor's daughter and this mother. She came to me and she said, would you please pray for my daughter? And she walked up and, I, and she spoke a little English. And I said, oh, you're not wanting prayed for. Because she was, she was very, very polite. But making sure everybody knew by her body language, I do not want to do this with this foreign dude. I do not want him praying for me. I'm not interested in the things of God. And as I began to pray for her, all of a sudden, I began to get this word for her. And I told her, I said, I said, you are very opinionated. You, you, people look at you and you'll argue your point. You are, and she's like, she's kind of smiling because she knows it's true. And I said, and God loves that about you. And it broke her. I said, God made you that way. I can, I can remember the whole, I don't usually remember words, but I'm telling you, this thing so broke me. I went back to my hotel room and I just soaked and I just wept over what I saw over this young girl. She was about 17 years old. It broke me in half, the tenderness of God towards a rebellious young woman. And as I'm giving her this word, it was one of those times where you're like narrating the word of the Lord. And I began to say to her, I'm asking you to come back. I'm asking you to come back. I won't force you, but I miss you. Will you please? And she's losing it. She is just losing it. And I'm starting to lose it because it was the pleading, vulnerable heart of God asking someone who is arrogant and rebellious. And he's, it's the humility of God to not, he, he could have demanded her worship. He is as worthy, he was as worthy in that moment as he's ever been. But he was saying, I miss you. I want you to come back. And this girl is breaking. And there was some other stuff. And I, and she, we got done, and she kind of wipes her eyes. And a few minutes later, I looked over, and she's over in the corner just wailing. I mean, she's snotting and just crying. And, and uh, I went back to the hotel room that night, and I put on some worship music, and I just wept because I entered into the love he was expressing to her. I just got in the way of, and it came all over me as it was coming off of me to her. And I just basked in that. It was overwhelming to me. I love ministry because I get to see him in ways I would never see him if I'm just seeking him for myself. There, there's, I, I, man, I can cry out to God and ask him questions. And, and I, you know, there's a lot of times where someone asks me something, it's easy to hear for them and to give them counsel. But and when it's my own counsel, I'm confused. 
There's times where I'll say things, I'll think, that's dumb. But I don't recognize it until I say it to someone else. It's easy to give to someone else. And sometimes it's because we have this limited perspective. And if we'll get up and out of that and occupy our role as a priest and begin to minister for others, you'll begin to see things of God. You'll learn things about God. That's why it says, I want to say it's in, I want to say it's in one of the Corinthians. It might have been in one of the books to the Thessalonians. But in the King James Version, Paul says at the end, and they addicted themselves to the ministry. I love that. It's addictive. I'm not talking about the functions of, of the human end where, you know, we, we're addicted to that. I'm talking about because you're partnering with God. You're handling divine things. And in the process, you get to touch things of him that you would have never touched. I would, I'm telling you, I came away from that encounter prophesying over that young girl and I still, there was a song I went back to my hotel room that was in my mind as I was speaking that over her. It was that old song, The Only Time I Ever Saw Him Ran. I went and I found it on the internet and just laid there and just, and I'll still do that. This is, this is almost a year later now. And sometimes I'll just put that song on and I enter right back into it because I saw something of him that I hadn't seen before. It was overwhelming the kindness and the love of God because that encounter wasn't for me but I sure got something out of it I got a boatload and I'm still eating those fish oh and so they received they were they were those looking over the flock and I believe that God chose shepherds for a reason he wanted to emphasize there's something about shepherds. David was a shepherd. Jesus is known as the good shepherd. There's a reason he chose shepherds because shepherds, their whole posture is, I am going to care for and defend these helpless animals. And if you'll step into that posture in life, I am going to care for those around me. I'm going to move from, I'm, I'm going to still live as a child, but I'm also going to step into this role that I'm not just a consumer. I care for the wider flock of God. I'm going to begin to have eyes to see the needs around me. And if you do that, I'm telling you, all of a sudden, you'll attract encounters you never attracted before. There's going to be things happen in your life. You'll begin to hear for other people. And you'll see things of God through the perspective of what he's doing in them that will come back and wash over you. So they said, let us go to Bethlehem. It's interesting, they said, let us go. It wasn't enough for them to hear. You see, they didn't, they didn't allow it to just be this momentary encounter where, okay, we, we saw this. This was an amazing thing. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna write a book on it, and, and uh, we're going to get an article in Charisma, and we're going to put it on our podcast and just tell everybody about this encounter. They understood there was this. It was to move them. Their encounter caused them to seek Jesus, <laughs> and it should always cause us to seek Jesus. It makes me nervous when I hear people talk about encounters for encounter's sake. Where they're, wanting to, where they're wanting to break into the supernatural, but it seems to be disconnected from an intimacy with Jesus. And I'm telling you, you're messing around with some holy things that, that can get you into some things that aren't healthy. It's not that we seek the encounters, we seek him. 
We see, we love the Lord our God and we love others like ourselves. And in the midst of that exchange, that priestly lifestyle, I'm telling you, encounters will break in. Sometimes it's for you, sometimes it's for you as a priest. But you'll always get something from it. And they weren't, they weren't happy to just leave it there as, okay, I had this experience. They said, okay, he said this is going on, now let's, let's go after this thing. And they mined the word out. They went, it says they, they heard from the angels, but then they said, let's go see it. They wanted to experience it for themselves. They didn't want to just have some theory that they heard about. I don't know if I'm co communicating this right. Let me put it this way. I'm concerned for my own life. I, I've told you this before. One time the Lord told me there are people sitting in front of you when you preach that get more out of your messages than you do. And it wasn't a compliment. It was the gentle rebuke of my father. He was telling me, you get so rushed to get to the next week. There's pressure to get the next thing. And if we're not careful, we can always be moving on to the next thing. And the Lord was saying, I'm giving you this. Yeah, I'm giving it to you for others, but I first want it to take root in you. I want it to transform you. It's not just that we're to preach theory. We're to preach truth that is lived through our lives. And we need to get everything we can. God will give you encounters for others. I know many times, there'll be times where I'll have an encounter with God. And I know it's because I'm the pastor of this church. I'll go somewhere and I'll get a prophetic word. And I know it's because I'm the representative head. I'm the federal head, the, the position of authority over this church. I'm the, I'm the father of the family. And I know because of that, I'll attract a prophetic word. And, and that's part of the benefit, frankly, of being the leader, because you'll get things over you that it's for others. But if we're not careful, it can just go right past us and through us, and we have it hasn't taken root in our own lives. That's why you can have men and women who have tremendously fruitful ministries, but they're rotting on the inside. And eventually that will keep up. There are those of you that have God is using you and he wants to use you more. But never look at it as this thing where you're just relaying information. It's got to go into you and take root and transform you. And when it does, it moves you to action. I don't want a fruitful ministry and rot on the inside. I'll never forget listening to Mike Bickle when he was a young man. He was traveling all over the world with, oh my goodness, I can't believe it's that late. Uh, he was traveling all over the world with John Wimber, preaching to thousands and thousands of people. And he was in his early 30s at the oldest. And he went to John Wimber and he said, I got to quit traveling with you. He said, I can't do this anymore. I got to go home because I backslid. And John's all worried. He said, no, listen, I'm not living in sin. He said, but I'm not tender before the Lord anymore. I'm so busy giving to others that my time with God has been for others and not for you, for him. And so he said, I just got to check out. And that always gave me such an enormous amount of respect. Here is this young guy, global ministry. He said, I'm done. If ministry will keep me from the Lord, then I don't want it. Because there's two sides to ministry. There's ministry to him as a priest, and there's ministry to man as a priest. And if this one supersedes this one, inevitably the thing's going to cave in on itself. So you better correct it before you're publicly corrected. 
And so these, they, it says they, they, they heard, they saw, and then they spoke. They found Mary and Joseph and they shared with them. They found the sign. They shared with them what the angel said. Say, man, listen, we're outside of town. The Lord told us we're going to find a baby in the manger, swaddling clothes, right there. That's your kid. We know it's you. And this is what they, the angels, the whole sky lit up. And this is what it said. And it says they shared with, and it said everybody was amazed at what they heard. You see, first they heard, then they saw. They went and looked for the reality of that thing. They didn't want it to be merely theory they had in an encounter. They wanted to handle that thing. They wanted it real in their life. And only after they saw it did they speak it. It's the, it's the, the, uh, the order of ministry. We don't have time to go into it this morning, but we, we hear things from the Lord, and then we handle things, and when it's become real, then we can speak things with authority. And everyone was amazed, except for Mary, it says, but Mary pondered these things and treasured them in her heart. We don't have time to go into this this morning, other than to say this. Mary was of a different sort. Everybody was amazed. But I'm telling you, there's more to angelic encounters and the supernatural and, and God speaking to us and signs and wonders and healings and all that stuff. Gold dust and feathers and gold teeth and all that stuff. I, I've seen all that and I think it's all great and God can do it anytime he wants here. But there's more to it than to simply amaze us. Everyone was amazed and it was a momentary amazement. But Mary was permanently altered by what she heard that night. And when you're on the receiving end of the word, there's more to it than the initial hearing. There's two words that she says here. It says here, it says she treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. There's two specific Greek words. They're both, they, they both share a... Uh, let me see if I can find this here. Treasured is suntereo. Suntereo. It means to uh, soon, which means together. It's you bring it together soon. And then tereo is to watch or to guard, to protect from escape. So when she received the word, she took it. And she, she held it and she guarded that word. She treasured it. She didn't want it to escape her. Because you know what? The word of the Lord can escape you. I just spent the other day, a Friday, with a small group of intercessors. And one of them began to share some things that I had said the Lord told me. And I said, would you email me that? And we all laughed. Yeah, you got to you know, email pastor what the Lord told him. But what concerned me was that they remembered it better than I did. And it was something that really spoke to me. And I, I, felt, I felt convicted. Lord, I've got to treasure those things to a deeper degree so it doesn't escape. And then the, the next word is she pondered them. It's sumbalo. It, again, it's the same beginning of the word, same prefix, but it means together, to thrust together. The idea is this, that she took what the shepherds told her, she guarded it, but then she put it together. She took 
her own angelic encounter. And she, she put it, and she began to examine these things side by side. What the angel had told her at the beginning of her pregnancy and what the angels told the shepherds at the end of her pregnancy. She began to look at what the angel told her husband in her dream. And she began to compare all these things and she kept them, she wove them together. God wants to, you to take all these things he's telling you and to weave a belief system, a mindset that becomes the, the navigation system of your life. It literally became the child-rearing manual that she utilized. If you've been at Walking with the Lord at any time at all, you know that there's different books that come through the church, different books that come through the body of Christ on child training. We've had several of them come through, and they've all been good. There's, they have strengths and weaknesses. But she had this child-rearing manual that was directly from heaven. She began to interact with that child through the word of the Lord. She protected that. We need to learn to steward encounters. One of the ways to attract encounters is to begin to live for the body of Christ, to live for God's purposes. It's great, we're all children, you are a recipient, live from that perspective. But don't live solely from that perspective. Grow up and become a producer in the kingdom. Begin to have a concern for others. And I'm telling you, when you do, God will begin to speak to you. And you'll get a boatload in the process. And when you're on the receiving end of those words, take those things and weave them together. Begin to use them as the grid work through which you see your life and your activity. Because God is trying to shape who you are. God, we, our encounters with the Lord, the word of the Lord is not meant to be a goosebump moment in a service. We're like, ooh, God spoke. And then it's, and then after service, what happened? Oh yeah, someone had a word. What was it? I don't know. Record them. The one that the person emailed me, I, I have those. I, I have a whole file, I have two files. Words for Heartland and words for myself. And there's Hundreds of pages in there. And I need to start going through and just reading through those. There's some that are always in the forefront of my mind, but there's others I've forgotten. And I need to treasure them. Let's guard those. Because when God finds a people that will steward encounters well, he'll give more. Raise your expectations the supernatural is the norm in Scripture. May not be the norm in the body of Christ worldwide, but that's not where we take our, our, you know, our orders. We take it from the Word. And I'm telling you, if you will begin to get a burden for others, if you'll begin to care for others, God will begin to speak to you, and you'll get a boatload in the process. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your Word. You are so good to us. Just raise your hands, would you? Oh, God. Lord, we thank you that you are our Father and we are your children. And we can approach you on that basis. Lord, that you take care of our needs. But Lord, we realize there's some things we can only access by stepping into the role of a priest. There's facets of your character that are reserved for those who carry the burden with you. 
Let us be good shepherds. Hallelujah. In Jesus. The times and seasons are in my hand, says the Lord, but the times of refreshing are in your hands. As the deer pants after water, I'm asking you to take the risk to bow down and to drink. I know the archers are on the outskirts. I know the fiery darts are there, but I will preserve you and I will protect you. I will guard you with my presence, but you must bow down and you must drink and you will be refreshed and you will go in strength from this day forward, mm. says the Spirit of the Lord. Wow. Hallelujah. Let me pastor this moment for a second. You hear what that, just, what that word was that Les just gave us? For those of you that are not familiar with that, that's out of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. It's a tongues and an interpretation. And it's a message from the Lord. And listen to what he said. The times and seasons are from the Lord. That is scripture. But the seasons of refreshing are in our hands. In other words, don't relegate to the sovereignty of God what he's delegated to you. Don't shirk your responsibility. Your hunger can actually change the time frames. Your hunger can pull in the next cloud. Your hunger can pull in the next move. If we'll get a burden for others, if we get, we get zealous about his purposes, I'm telling you, God will begin as you pick up his burden. Sometimes I think the reason we don't have revival is because we're simply approaching it as a child. Me, me, me. And God loves you, you, you. But his purposes are higher than us. We need to appeal to his grander purposes. And when we begin to pray from there, we begin to see movement. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.